Hey everyone, welcome to another Flop Pet Talk podcast. Today we'll be sitting down with Little Angel's Pet Nutrition and I am so excited to share today's podcast with you. If you'd like a say in our podcast, be sure to follow us on Instagram, the link is in the description, or you can just search for us at finnegan.time, um, that's on Instagram. So yeah, I raw run polls quite often on there and you can have a say on what we talk about. You can post your questions to any professionals or any individuals that we have on the show. Or if you just have any cool ideas, please share them with me. Uh, I also want to let you know that I am sorting out my audio issues. It is slow going, but please do bear with me. Uh, I can't not share this podcast with you because the information is so incredible. So please just bear with me. But regardless of that, let's just have a good time. And without further ado, here we go. Venusha, I've obviously stalked your social media for like a while. (laughs) (laughs) I've been following the amazing good you've been doing. And so why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself before we dive into today's session? Um, Cool. Okay. So I'm... V, Venusia for long, but V for short. Um, I'm a certified canine nutritionist and my passion is helping pet parents um, to just basically increase the wellness and longevity of their pets and just to coach them on how to do things a little bit better and not just accept the status quo. So my whole um, ethos is basically empowering parents. So instead of like my clients, I always tell them, don't always follow everything I say just because I said it, it has to be because you know the background of it. So you have to know the pros and cons of every decision, make an informed choice. And that's where basically my social media content comes in, my consults, um, working with pet parents, so that they actually understand that when you go into a vet visit, you are asking the right questions. You know where you want to sit. So that's basically it. I'm a mom of one at the moment or one and a half basically so i'm due end of april for my second one so um just in the last stretch of my pregnancy yes (laughs) yeah it's been a very difficult one but yeah we're getting there slowly um and my little one is four years old i've got four cats as well so the cats were with us for about eight years before she joined the family so she's never known um a family without pets um, without raw feeding or fresh feeding. She's never seen kibble. So it's a very different way of raising little ones. Um, and I'm an aviation wife. So we do things a bit differently at home because hubby's not always around. Um, but yeah, we are living our best lives. My pets have all got autoimmune conditions and we manage it through holistic care and diet. Wow. Yeah, that's been a natural. I saw on um, Instagram that you have, explain this to me because I was like, am I seeing this correctly? Like you got the Guinness Book World Records for one of the oldest dogs or? Oh, it wasn't me. It was another, it was, um, uh, I think it was in Phoenix, Arizona, somewhere. It's overseas, but there was a a dog. Yeah. No, it's Portugal. Sorry, Portugal. Um, Yeah. So that dog named Bobby had got the Guinness World Records for, um, being the oldest dog a little bit overweight for my liking but I did mention that I don't know what his history was so he may have had medical conditions and stuff but um he loves fresh food he lives in a low stress household he's never been chained he has free uh run of the farm so it's all about those little changes that you make in your dog's lives or your cat's lives that can actually lead to longevity and what we consider to be a long-living pet is actually not the same so changing perception. 
Yeah, and also people have the idea of, okay, your pets will get old eventually and then you'll have to make the decision because something's going to happen. Um, yeah. But I mean, a lot of people don't realise that there's so many things you can do before it gets to that point and to not just prolong the dog's life but yeah. to their quality of life. Exactly. Yeah, it's health span over lifespan. And also not realize, realizing that just because your dog has reached 8, 9, 10 years of age doesn't mean that's it. I don't want to stay with a 10-year-old pet and think now I have to consider uh, a difficult decision or contend with illnesses for my own family. So that's where it comes in to make the small choices as soon as possible so you can extend and have quality of life later on. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. So... Let's break this down. Okay, so what is pet nutrition and why is it such an important topic that needs to be discussed like more liberally, like completely? <laughs> so I like to basically look at it from a point of view of human nutrition. So in correlation, because it's it's it falls a similar concept for me that you when you take care of yourself, your inner self, and what you, you feed yourself and your body, your body will, will love you for it. So it basically shows you the health, the wellness, the energy, the vitality, and you'll feel a lot healthier. So if you're eating a lot of fast foods, if you're eating a lot of processed foods, um, your human doctor will tell you, no, that's not on. You have to change it and get more fresh food in your diet. So stick to the outskirts of the supermarket, basically, not the packaged box foods. Um, Exactly the same with pets. So we need to start moving towards away from the pet food aisle, the package stuff that lies there for a couple of months at a time, and go to the fresh food aisle. Reasoning being that pet nutrition is so important. It's one of the pillars of longevity. There's other things like environment and toxin exposure. Um, and it's one of the pillars that basically lead to longevity, wellness, and vitality. So you can have a longer living pet um, and influence your pet's um, genome to be able to express health and not um, illness. That's insane. Do you do you think that um, South African pet owners are conscious about their pet nutrition needs or are they getting more conscious about it? You've obviously been in it for like a while, so. Yeah, so I've been doing it for about six years. So I've seen a big change in where I started um, and to now. You do get a lot of um, the usual, I've been doing this for years and years i've had pets for like 20 years and they've been fed the supermarket kibble and they're perfectly healthy so you will get that camp and those are people that basically really don't want to change they're resistant to change and then you get people who actually do have the light bulb going off or they have their epiphany i was one of those <laughs> that had the light bulb um and basic yeah so those are the ones i'm targeting um it is a slow moving process in in our country overseas it's a lot quicker uh, purely because of the mass of information overseas and the availability of information as well as the transparency of information. Um, here, it's not as transparent. Um, and when you go into a, a traditional vet, you get like a 15, 20-minute consult. It's in what's happening. Let's do a whole lot of medications. Diet is generally not considered. It's basically what you're feeding. Yes, you're feeding um, a, a good veterinary brand. If not, let's go to a veterinary brand. Um, and that's about it. So there's no indication of what is diet factoring into the illness or how it's impacting your pet. Um, and that's basically what we're looking at in terms of trying to change that con concept and have parents ask more questions. So like I was mentioning earlier, the holistic vets, we've got one recently that moved into our area. And he charges, um, his consult is an hour long. So it's not just, 
15 minutes and it's not you can't just walk into the consult it's it's basically you book a session it's only you and your pet and your pet has free reign of the entire practice not on a lead so my cats come out of the carrier everything is closed off it's him and the pet he's got one helper and yourself and then he'll have a conversation with you let the pet get used to you he has calming medication like calming stuff around and my 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 cats are very not stressed in that situation. They don't have to go into a waiting room with dogs and birds and different animals. So it's a different way of looking at um, holistic health and pet nutrition. And he also covers diet, which is a big part of um, holistic care. That's incredible. We definitely need yeah. more of those. I think, especially like cat owners, because that's probably the most stressful thing for them. I I, I had a cat before, um, and hated it because just the stress that the cat goes through causes them not to eat for two days after even exactly shots that they had to go get yeah and even reactive dogs i mean imagine taking a reactive dog to a vet practice exactly i know <laughs> how you feel it's like and there's so many other dogs in there and so many smells and so, you have to be yeah. nice be like it's okay it's fine yeah. meanwhile you're just inside stressing yeah about it yeah Oh my gosh. No, I think as well, um, in, in terms of vet practices, in my experience um, with educating people around it as well, it's also like, no, you have to get a vet brand. A vet approved brand is the best way to go because they're chocked full of nutrition and all of that. But I, I kind of feel like maybe we've developed a bit of a blind trust in brands and manufacturers in South Africa. Like you say, overseas, there's a, a larger transparency when it comes to these things. Um, why do you think we we aren't there yet. I think it's more status quo and also how they are taught. I'm not. I don't think it's because they just want to be um, ambivalent to the situation. I think it's just basically because literally, I've 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 chatted to a whole lot of vets, local vets, and they have also indicated that it's just basically two weeks of nutrition knowledge in their whole veterinary medical practice. They they training. So the training is basically a rep from Royal Canin or Yukonuba or Hills, whoever comes in um, and tells them if your client or your patient has kidney disease, you feed Hills brand kidney disease diet or like those kind of things. So it's not a relation to um, or correlation between anatomy, physiology, biology, and this is what the animal should be eating. So they don't deep dive into that. And it's understandable because it is a medical degree. It's not a nutrition degree. So yeah. if they do need to have that insight, like a nutritionist for human um, care, they need to be able to specialize in nutrition. So a GP is not a nutritionist, and he will tell you to go to see a nutritionist if you have a problem. But it doesn't happen in this country. So the transparency is not there in terms of what they're feeding. They also are, are basically, I think, unaware of how the ingredients work in terms of the animal um, and what they need. Um, and they also have seen a lot of fresh diets being done the wrong way. So yeah. I really don't blame them because if someone comes to them and they, um, I mean, I have had clients like that myself where people have contacted me after a year um, and they, one, one comes to mind where their pet had, it was a one-year-old dog. So just out of puppyhood and had um, fractured front paws from literally walking because they didn't have calcium for a year. Oh my goodness. And the homemade diet. So it was a home diet done unintentionally without them knowing that it was wrong. Um, and this is what the vet is seeing. So when you go there and you tell them I'm doing fresh food, their mind's already made up. 
that it's not Basically, the right fresh food. Yes. Which is so how you'd rather like, yeah. see, all right, no, you're doing this according to the case studies that I've had a look at. This does exactly. not yield good results, yes. so stay away from it. Um, yeah. I think it's a, it's a very similar mentality to raw fed diets um, yes. that vets have. And I think, yeah, what you're saying makes a lot of sense. They have to look at the pet as if, okay, this is a dog. Let's check his vitals. He seems normal. Everything is healthy. You should be fine to feed this. X, yes. Y, Z. Or if they need yeah. something special, you know, go on a specialized diet from one of the vet yeah. brands. Um, but there's not much, like you say, that there's not much knowledge in, in, in applying active care to to giving advice on what's good for that specific pet. Yes, exactly. And that's when nutritionists come in play. So if they are aware that the nutritionists are around, then they can ask um, you to, to basically refer you to a nutritionist. But if not, then I personally would love to have the conversation with vet. Like if I go to a vet and I don't know what to feed, for them to be upfront and say, you're feeding XY diet, that's a homemade diet. And I'm not sure how the diet is formulated, what's in it and how it interacts. So let me walk this journey with you. I will do the, the research um, and we'll come up with a plan. So instead of having that, I often get the back leg of people saying, no, it's going to kill your pet. You should not be feeding this. Here's this bag. Yeah. So yeah, it's that kind of, of collaboration we need. And obviously, if you get the parents that are really not interested and they're doing things wrong, then yes, the bag of kibble is going to work because it is a balanced meal. But if you see the parent is one that is willing to make the effort and the sacrifice and the commitment, they should be given um, the ability to do it. Yeah. And the sure. guidance. To yeah. be honest, I much rather prefer it when I ask a question. Like, for example, I know with Finn um, and his epilepsy journey, it's obviously tough and it has to be on a case-by-case -case basis. And what I appreciated so much of his vet is she would tell us, you know what, I'm actually not too sure about this. And exactly. even the experienced surgeon who's been, who's been there for over 20 years, you know, yeah. saying that I'm not too clued up on this. Let me go do some research and I'll get back to you. I want to make sure that my information is correct and I'm not missing something. Perfect. I appreciate that so much more than a vet that says, no, this is wrong. I know it. Yeah. That's the law. So it, it opens a much better dialogue and I feel like I can trust them more because they're willing to admit that. Exactly. Hey, it's a partnership. Yes, exactly. Yes. It's a journey, it's a journey it's and they're partnering with you too improve your pet's health and not just give you this recommendation. You have to follow it to the T if you don't, something is wrong with you and your pet is going to get sacrificed in the process. No, it's a partnership. You work together for the for the, the wellness of the animal that they're seeing. For sure. So, but like at the end of the day, vet's advice and everything, the owners will still come to on the pet owners to make the right decision. But, yep. you know, obviously there is a degree of, do you think there's like a, degree of responsibility when it comes to to pet brands to actually like help us make that decision because it's there's such an overwhelming amount of information out there and it's conflicting you know you can go sit on a reddit thread for three hours you can go scroll on facebook and find completely different information or all the forbes articles or anything healthline articles and it's it's overwhelming like i know from personal experience just looking at yeah. you know anything um so i don't know how can we bridge this gap because 
is it is it where the nutritionists have to come in and say okay we need to be able to partner with more veterinary practices so that they know if they're not informed they need to call us in for consults um is it is holistic vet practices something that needs to be integrated more mm-hmm. yeah i don't know yeah so i, I think it's a two-pronged thing so if you're looking at it from a, a pet food industry um you also the african pet food brands are actually are you a lot better sticking with the african brands than overseas brands um purely because where your country of manufacture is that is that country's rules govern that production or the manufacture process. So you'll find a lot of the overseas brands are, um, they do have um, unsavory practices, I want to say, that we would not be able to, if you knew about it, you'd be devastated um, in terms of what is allowed to go into a overseas brand because that country has allowed it and it's produced in that country and for them it's acceptable. So a lot of the, so basically the FDA doesn't class pet food as food. It's classed as pet feed um, because it's not food. So when it's classed as feed, a lot of things can go under the radar because now you can allow um, dead animals, diseased animals, you can allow um, chemicals in there, um, roadkill, a whole lot of stuff that you wouldn't expect to be in food because it's not classed as food. So that's the first point of call. People always think that veterinary brands are the best thing to have, overseas brands, and I serve the, the most expensive kibble on the market. But understand where it's coming from and what goes into it is more important than where it's from and how much it costs. Um, so the African regulations do not allow the same things as overseas brands. So keep that in mind. So if your country of origin or country of manufacture is South Africa, um, we are a lot more progressed in terms of that. However, the packaging on the back is also the same in terms of labeling regulations are almost the same in terms of what they will tell you in terms of transparency. So the ownership as you mentioned, is on the pet parent to be able to educate themselves to understand how to read pet food labels, what do the claims say, what does it actually mean, um, and what am I feeding in terms of what goes into the bowl. Um, so that's the first thing, and the nutritionists do partner with that. So I obviously have a lot of content on my social media. I do a lot of courses to educate parents, um, just to have that that empowerment, to know that when they go into a pet store, they can actually know more than the pet store attendant who's yeah. got that that badge that says they're a pet nutrition expert, but they're all they're doing is telling you how much to feed. <laughs> yeah, because if you even ask them how much of carbs are in this bag, or they will not know because they don't know how to calculate it. Mm. So they just trained by the rep of the company to be able to sell a food. So they're a sales rep, they're not a nutrition expert. So that's the first thing. And then also with the vet practices, it's very difficult to get into traditional vets. Um, I've been trying for a long, long time. A lot more of the holistic vets partner with me more than the traditional vets. Um, And we just need to have a change, a change of being open-minded and allowing pet parents to partner and have that ability. So if you had to basically go for an operation for yourself as a human, you'd have a whole team of people on you. So anesthesiologist, yeah. a nutrition, um, a d- the doctor in surgery, your GP who referred you, and everybody's going to take care of your care. Whereas with veterinary practices, it doesn't happen. It's just one person. Um, and the knowledge you're getting is excellent in terms of veterinary care, but you're not sure of the other pillars that you're getting in terms of knowledge. Yeah. So I think as the advocacy for our pets is growing, you know, where we are advocating for their care and their quality of life. I think our need to have all the information at hand to make an informed decision is becoming more yeah. great. 
So I think in that way, you know, we can give a round of applause to pet owners everywhere in the country. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So and I, I also want to commend them because it, it, it's very difficult to have that that need or that want because you go into a a, a consult and I, it happened to me personally when I became a, a pet parent after leaving my parents' house because we had dogs with my parents and, and that was like my our family pets. And then when I had my first pet on my own, it was a big deal for me because I felt like a parent. So I had a whole list of questions with the first vet visit and the vet that everyone recommended locally here. He just looked at my questions and laughed and he said, no, don't worry, I know what I'm doing. So for me, I, I left the consult and I didn't go back because even if you know what you're doing, I need my questions answered because this is my yeah. pet and my baby. And I need to know what you are doing and what does it do in terms of side effects, the whole lot. So, yeah, so I do commend parents to have that um, that that need and that want of knowledge, but also to stick to it because you are going to get pushback. Um, and when it does happen, find a vet that's going to work for you. Find a professional second that will work for you. <laughs> yeah, second opinion. If you have that gut feeling that it's not right, trust that gut feeling. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So speaking of kibble, um, based on time and so we've touched on you know imported versus local and all of that. Um, but in terms of time and accessibility, like I work from home, I'm very lucky. So if I were wanting to, you know, go on a journey of starting from on a customized diet, that's something that yeah. I can do, you know, because I've got yes. the time to put into it. But not a lot of people have that luxury. So is there any way that, you know, you can make maybe not a fully customized diet, but maybe just a more defined diet for pet owners who want to just enhance kibble maybe? Yeah. Definitely. So we call it hybrid diets where you can serve uh, a multitude of different types. So you can serve the kibble uh, with some raw, with some cooked um, and basically um, doing a mix of things or so mix and match. Um, it does take a bit of a learning curve because you need to be able to know what you're putting in. A lot of people resort basically to the, the veggies and the high GI veggies. Um, so understanding what you are doing. So my whole thing is Kibble is your food that you're feeding because of convenience and it's perfectly fine. Your lifestyle is dictating that you can only feed kibble. A lot of people are going to feed kibble for a long, long time. It's never going to go away like McDonald's or KFC. It's never going to go away. We just have to make smarter choices with it. Um, and as as humans, we can decide to have the KFC and McDonald's today and tomorrow we, we'll have a healthy diet. Our dogs can't. So this is where the fresh food comes in. Um, and whatever fresh food you're putting in has to be done with intention. So you have to know what is the kibble giving my pet? So what can I do to improve it? Um, and if you are putting in high GI veggies, non-species appropriate ingredients, then you're not improving it. You're basically making it worse. So you're reducing the, the, the content in, in terms of nutritional profile. So this is where partnering with a nutritionist, um, understanding your kibble and what it's giving you in terms of macronutrients, and then what can I do to boost that, that value? Also, what's happening with your pet? So being hands-on with your pet, understanding if your pet's going through inflammation, um, dodgy stools, what is a perfect stool? Because everyone thinks they, they dogs are pooping rainbows um, <laughs> when it can actually be better. So understanding that there is a way to look at perfect stools and what the quality is and how do I improve that? Um, so if you're and Rainbows, probably should go to a vet. <laughs> yeah, but I, I mean, my, my whole thing is that if the common perception of the 
the the high volume stool, stool, the thick voluminous stool, the stinky stools that your dog poop has to smell, that is not normal. So that's where everyone thinks that that that's fine. My dog is fine, but it's not. They should be having thin sausage shaped stools that do not smell. So when you walk into the garden, you shouldn't get even for a cat litter box. It shouldn't be a stinky stool. So it's a big mindset shift. Um, And also the constant pooping. I mean, you shouldn't have a dog that poops all the time because then it's too much of waste matter going in. So those kind of ingredients that we can use to actually improve the stool, reduce the pooping, um, reduce the inflammation, and then get more nutrition into your pet as well. And make mealtimes fun. It should be fun. Food is fun. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we make yeah. it. I think we we also put a lot of effort into our own nutrition. Like, for example, I'm I'm very gluten sensitive, so I'm very yeah. aware of that. But I wouldn't have known that if I didn't start listening to my body exactly. and start checking up on how I react to certain foods. Yeah. Um, obviously, it makes it a little bit difficult with um, pets because they can't speak. <laughs> Yes, we wish they could speak. I really, really wish they could. Um, I always tell people, have a food diary for your pet. So have a weekly roster where you know exactly what you're feeding in terms of the food you're feeding, any treats that you're feeding, what the pet ate in the day. And at the end of the day, also include what the poop was like. Was there any vomit? What kind of poop looked like? Color, texture, uh, consistency. And when you look at it based in black and white on paper, at the end of the day, you will see that something is triggered. There is a trigger. And then you'll know, okay, my pet had this dodgy stool because he ate that the day before. It just makes it a lot easier to pinpoint stuff. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so So what is a normal amount for a healthy adult dog to poop in a day? (laughs) (laughs) So it depends on weight and obviously what you feed. So if you're looking at a fresh-fed pet, um, around about 5 kgs with this dog or cat, we're looking at about three, three and a half times a week. So based on a a week. What? Okay. Yes. Yeah. So my six and a half kg rescue cat, um, he's got some pure bread in him, but he's completely rescue. So he's quite a big boy and he only poops three times a week. That's insane. I, I, was, yeah. I don't know what I was expecting the answer to be, but I don't think that was it. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's a big shift. It's a big epiphany. The light bulb goes off because they basically utilize every single thing that you're feeding them and their body takes it in completely on a cellular level. So they don't have a much waste coming out. And it's only three times a week the waste is actually produced. Whereas if you're feeding a high waste product that their body cannot metabolize and digest properly, that waste has to go somewhere and it comes out as poop, which is often the multiple times a day where you're pooping. Take Keep in mind as well that if you have a dog, um, like a 10 kg, 15 kg, now we're going up to the larger breeds, they are going to poop more. So it's not, they, they don't have to poop three times a week. Um, but I don't expect them to poop like five times a day. No, of course not, yeah. Yeah, so then something is a problem. Um, so also relation to the volume of food that's fed. So even if it's a fresh fed pet and that pet is doing agility and fly ball and performance sports, they're going to consume a lot more volume of food than a pet that's a couch potato watching the TV the whole day. Um, and those will vary in terms of their stool frequency as well. I can imagine, yeah. Like, for example, yeah. Ben, especially with his medication and especially when he gets his rescue mates, his Valium, afterwards he is not interested in food whatsoever. Yeah. He's very lethargic. 
and he doesn't do much. So I can imagine yep. then in return, he doesn't feel like he needs to eat so much. Yes. So that's my biggest issue at the moment with yeah. that. Like, this makes a lot more sense as well. Like something that I think we forget to remember is the same with us. If we go to gym on a daily basis, you're going to need more carbs and yes. more protein, more carbs yeah. for the energy and more protein for the muscle building. Yeah. Um, and I think similarly, I don't know if it works the same for animals, but I would imagine that, you know, the energy burns the same way for them. Yeah, slightly different, but they would utilize a lot more protein um, and then only for the high performance dogs that are doing the 10 kilometers hikes a day or runs or the scent work, agility. Then I include carbs in the diet in terms of a homemade diet, um, but a very small amount because you're just trying to get that glycolysis going. But generally, the protein is, is more than enough for them and the micronutrients that you're adding for recovery and muscle repair. Oh, fantastic. Okay, so speaking of protein and carbs and all of that, and um, you know, store board kibble or vet, vet, not vet's choice, but vet's choice kibble. Um, yeah. What, what is something? Is there is there anything that people should be on the lookout to, like, as a little red flag when they look at ingredient lists, like a little bit of a taboo? Yes. Yeah. So the main things that I cover off is basically um, understand that your ingredient labels are there. So always look at the back. So your your phrase that I love is turn and learn. So, <laughs> that is like amazing. It was like a big thing for me. And I'm like, why didn't I think of this? So yes. So don't always go with a fancy packaging on the front because they are going to show you that fancy image of a healthy dog or a cat and luscious looking roast or delicious chicken um, and the veggies and it looks all fresh and lovely and tender. So don't always go with that. It's fancy packaging, even for human production. So we always just work on packaging, we visual people and we'll look at the best uh, packaging to, to take something off a shelf. Turn and learn. So turn the bag over and find out what's in it. In terms of ingredient labels, um, your ingredients are listed in terms of before processing. So if you, for example, take a um, a whole chicken that you get from a store, so like from Willie's or Pick and Pay that you want to make to roast your, for your family. If you take a chicken um, and it weighs about 2 kgs, and then when you get home, when you roast it, it'll probably be about, say, 1.2 or just 1.5 as an example it loses weight and that weight that lost that's lost is actually water because the chicken is a lot of dietary moisture in it so the same with the processing of in terms of kibble when you are saying the ingredients in terms of first ingredient all the way to the bottom it's before they process it so before they take the water out so if they do take the water out the meat that probably could be the first ingredient will now move down the list to maybe the third or the fourth ingredient, depending on how they process it. Um, and always ingredients are listed in, in, in descending order. So the first, the most um, value in terms of weight all the way to the bottom. So keep that in mind. And then also look at, like I mentioned, the dietary moisture needs to be removed before you actually know where the, the stuff goes. So I like to look at maybe, maybe the first two or three ingredients being a meat-based ingredient. So not meat meal or meat byproduct, but actual meat. So like chicken, lamb, beef, those kind of things. Um, and then you'd know that if they do remove the moisture, we can fall back on the second ingredient. Whereas if it is the first ingredient meat and then you've got three or four ingredients of, of, of grains or veggies, then those are actually gonna actually turn around once you realize how they processed it. So that is one of the red flags. The second is calculate your carb content. Definitely. So it's not under regulation for them to have a carb value on the bag. They have protein, fats, um, fiber, the whole lot in terms of the nutrient analysis table. Um, and the onus is on us to actually calculate the carb content. So carb 
for dogs and cats actually equates to sugars because it breaks down as an end product into sugars. And in some of these bags, you'll be surprised that half of them is actually sugar. So that is what nobody's going to feed a 500 gram or one kg bag of sugar to their pet. Um, <laughs> but if you look at it in terms of that perception, you would understand why we have the issues we have today and why we have declining health because we are feeding a high carb diet. So ancestrally, they're supposed to only have between two and 10% carbs, depending on the animal, the species. Um, and some, some bags go up to 50, 56% carbs um, in terms of processed carbs and the processing of the carbs. Obviously, it's not a fresh carrot that you're feeding. It is a processed carrot. So those are the two red flags that I always try and get people to be aware of. Um, and go for the least amount of carbs. Um, and that's what I teach in my courses and how to calculate it. So when you go into a pet store, you don't have to rely on the attendant. You can actually calculate and say, this is the best kibble for my pet because it has a lower carb value, what the fiber does, everything in terms of how the nutrients work together. And then because of this, I will add in X amount of certain fresh ingredients and be able to improve the content of the kibble. I'm starting to understand why you say fresh is better as well, because again, you explaining all of this with the processing and everything going down you lose a lot of all of that goodness yeah. that fresh can give yeah. you because if i were to blend a carrot put it in his licking mat that's completely different than buying a canned carrot from the shop or whatever it's different yeah and that's why you'll see on on a kibble bag compared to a fresh food uh, product um you have a long list at the end of synthetic minerals and vitamins because after they've processed the food and they tested it, there's a lot of deficits and they have to put the deficit back. So that's where they put in the vitamin A, the E, the omega-3s, and they'll tell you on the bag with omega-3s and all the stuff, which is great because if you cannot make a homemade diet, you would need to have a balanced food. So it's still a balanced food. However, it's synthetically balanced food. So how much of those nutrients that are in the synthetic form is actually bioavailable to your pet? How much do they take up? We don't know. Because how does their body recognize synthetic nutrients compared to fresh nutrients? And same with us. Do we recognize a lot more fresh than, than synthetic? Um, so we'd rather focus more on the fresh than the, the synthetic ingredients. Whereas if you do have a pre-made supplier of fresh food, the ingredient list is quite short. They don't so have a lot of supplements. The, the shorter the better. Yeah. Even with treats, the shorter the better. So you'd rather look for single ingredient treats than a long list of stuff because also, they also count to the nutrient profile and the calorie load. So, for example, if I've got a treat bag of biscuits and it says grains um, and then it has a whole list of vitamins, you can just assume that it's got a very low amount of ingredients, but they just added synthetic um, yeah. vitamins and supplements in there. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And then with treats, I'd rather just do a part of the food as a treat. Why do pets need to have a treat as a separate thing? Because food is a treat. Just like humans, foods are, tre foods are treats. So like we go with my toddler as well, because we've changed nutrition based on my pets. And when she came along, I did everything different for her. Um, she's never had sugary treats or baby cereals or things like that. We did everything from scratch at home. Um, she's only got exposed to actual like table sugar um, when she was like two and a half years old, like sweets and chocolates and things like that. So they don't really need it in their diet. Um, and we used food as treats. So even with my pets, part of their diet would be like um, like enrichment stuff, like the bones, 
the feathers, the furs, all those weird things that people feed. Um, and even um, if you have dogs, you can use veggies, you can use fruit, um, blueberries are treats, strawberries are treats. So you don't really have to do a store-bought treat for your dog to feel like you spoiled them. Um, you can spoil them with real food. Yeah, for example, I love, not I, Finn loves frozen carrots. So we buy a big bag of big carrots and toss it in the freezer. Yeah. It's great for Richard's bay because it gets so yeah. hot. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, and he can have, if he wants three, four a day, he can have as many as he likes because I know it's yeah. just a carrot. And he loves yeah. it. So, and it's good for his teeth. And so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he actually prefers, we've actually given him a car- the choice between a carrot and mm-hmm. a, a little pro bono biscuit. And he goes yeah. into both and he will choose the carrot. Nice for that. Yeah. A lot of pets will actually choose the fresh food. It's only the, very older pets that have been addicted to the carbs and the sugars and the, and the commercial foods that won't go for a fresh food and then we need to transition them but it's not saying that it's impossible you can still do it it just takes it a little bit more time all right so yeah so this is all fantastic however i think in a, in a multi-pop household that's something very difficult to do uh, is to, okay, how do I manage giving this dog this, this dog this, this dog this, I've got five dogs. It's a lot of intensive like work to do to calculate each one. Do I just get the same kibble for all of them? Okay, each one of them has a different kibble, but they have different dietary requirements. I think it can be very overwhelming. Yeah. Um, so in terms of like the financial feasibility of customized diets in a multi-pub household, is there something that bridges that gap of, you know? So I think it would be the extension of your own diet. So um, if you are doing kibble because of finance reasons and you have multiple pets, it's perfectly fine. And then also because your pets have different. So even with kibble, you'd have to serve different life stages. So like a puppy kibble, you can't serve the adults, the puppy or the puppy, the adult. Um, And then I don't really, really recommend going the whole breed route um, because every all the dogs are the same internally. They all look the same once you, (laughs) yeah, like all humans are the same, no matter what color we are inside. So the same with dogs. Um, It's just that the differences will be in calorie issues or if the activity issues or um, the growth phase. So those are the differences I I like to focus on. Um, And then if we are wanting to improve the diet, then yes, going the fresh food route. So what I call the 80-20 rule is very important because here you can actually remove 20% of the kibble and replace with any fresh that you're having without affecting nutrient values. So I don't recommend it for puppies, um, generally for adult dogs. Um, And here you would remove, so say you're feeding 100 grams of kibble in the bowl. You'll take out 20 grams and you'll add in 20 grams of any fresh that you have at home um, that you're preparing for your family. So it's not a, a major budget issue in terms of what you're having. So whether it's a grated carrot, some grated apple, some blueberries, um, a little bit of boiled egg that you had for breakfast or a scrambled egg without oils, um, some fresh meat. Maybe you had roast with your family and you took the inside of the, of the, the, the roast, not the outside with the skin and all the lovely flavorings, but the inside meat um, and those kind of things. So you adding those things into the food which will constitute that 20 grams of the 100 gram bowl of kibble. um, And that improves the nutritional value. If you do have pets with medical conditions and you have to be aware of which fresh foods are going to interact harmfully, um, 
So like kidney disease, you can't have a high phosphorus diet. So you wouldn't do the fish. You wouldn't do things like things in terms of high phosphorus loads. Um, and also if you have dogs with pancreatitis, you'd want to control carbs as well as fat ultimately. So those things you need to be aware of. But once you do the 80-20, it becomes quite easy to make the, the leap into fresh foods. Yeah, because they also recommend if you switch, I don't know if it's the same for adult dogs, but if you, they recommend if you want to switch kibble um, in the puppy, you you can't just start feeding the, the puppy something else. You have to yeah. gradually shift it over. So I think that's yeah. also a great way to test the waters to see if your dog actually likes it. Yeah. Like more if it were exactly for you. So yeah that's a great and it, it gets people get confident of starting to make food fun because then they see the dogs are excited about the blueberries and the strawberries um or the cucumbers and things like oh my dog loves this um and it just becomes easier to say okay now i want to serve a little bit more fresh and take that leap yeah definitely um i think so speaking of ingredients um, I, I don't know about you, but I, I think once a month at least I will receive a WhatsApp message saying, do this if this happens to your dog, feed them this if they get poisoned or, you know, put charcoal down their throat or, you know, give them a panado <laughs> or so many things. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there are many wives' tales and DIY hacks that circulate yes. in community groups. So what we're going to do is I'm going to list a few for you and the author kind of popular and then if you can tell us if it's true or false um or a better course of action to take um okay. yeah so first one um dogs eat grass to make themselves vomit or because they lack something in their diet okay so it's actually both true so you would find a larger percentage of dogs would um do that for the for both reasons so they would have a digestive upset, something is irritating their tummy, and they need to bring it up. So instinctively, they know that the grass would actually induce vomiting. It's called an emetic effect, um, and that's what they will do. So they will have that foamy vomit or something will come up. Um, and then also in that class of, of, of dogs as well, you'd also get the nutritional issues. So if they are eating grass, sometimes with soil, some of them will actually dig up the garden and, and eat the roots. Um, I have clients that sometimes eat the roots of the of, of plants or even a particular plant, it's because they're lacking a certain nutrient. So we look at the cause, what are they missing? We put it in the diet and that behavior goes away. So majority, 90% of dogs, yes, I would agree with that. 10%, even if you do change the diet, it becomes a genetic thing, an instinctive thing that they will still go for the grass, um, irrespective of what they have. And they just nibble on it occasionally. Um, you shouldn't have a grass muncher that constantly wants to have a lot of grass. Um, they they know that grass has a lot of bacteria in it because it's in the ground. There's soil there. It's goodness for them. Um, it's something they need to actually process some ingredients. They don't understand the concept of ingredients, obviously. Um, well, I hope they don't. I don't know how they think. Um, but they know that they need that gut bacteria to help process things. Maybe something is happening in their gut. They could look outwardly happy, but inside they know something is happening. Um, and they will take that in, in terms of soil, in terms of poop, in terms of um, grass, just so that they can actually get that bacteria to process the food that they're having. So once we do that switch, um, whether we're changing nutrients and putting in boosting the kibble, or we're moving completely to a fresh food diet, you'll find a lot of people see a lot of change in terms of um, them emitting that behavior and reducing it or eliminating it. 
that's fantastic. Like if you, if your dog eats every now and then, it's fine. If they do it on a daily basis, you should, you know, you should contact the yeah. nutrition. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so number two is the lifespan of a cat or a dog is between eight and fifteen years. Yeah, so I think we covered this in the beginning where um longevity and health span needs to be a factor. So yes, we can have long living pets, but how much of that eight to 15 years is healthy pets? So are they pooping excessively? Do they have arthritis? Do they have joint issues? Are they lethargic? Do they want to actually run five kilometers a day? Because dogs are athletes um, and so are cats, they're hunters. So they need to have that amount of activity and not all dogs are doing that, but they need to be able to have the ability to do it. So if your dog is sitting all the time and not really interested in doing activities, there's a problem there with energy levels. Um, are they having behavior issues? Are they having um, inflammation in the skin? So you're having hot spots, itchiness, redness, shedding, um, a whole lot of things that are actually lifestyle diseases um, that are compounded by the diet that you're feeding and that affects longevity. So I don't want a 15-year-old pet that's gonna be in and out of the vet and, and constantly cortisone medications and the whole lot. I want good quality of life. So I can see that they are having a, a life full of vitality, health, wellness, and they got that spunk. They are happy and excited. So those are the, the, the questions we need to ask ourselves. So do we value health span over lifespan? Um, as you mentioned as well, there were long living pets all over the world. If you read the Forever Dog book by Rodney Habib and Karen Becker, they've also highlighted these. Um, there were one a cat named Cream Puff was 38 years old. Um, yes. Oh and this owner goodness. has like like over 20 cats and most of the cats live till over 20 years of old age. So he's doing something right. <laughs> um, and we need to learn from these cases because we get told that 10, 15 years is the norm. And now you should expect a list of diseases and consider euthanasia, those kind of things, um, if your pet is not well. So, yeah, I would just want to have a better, longer living pet in terms of seniority and not just think that that's it. That's this is the it. lifespan. Yeah. Yeah, there's nothing else to do. This is your yeah. hands time. No. Oh, well, that's, 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 I think, very comforting for a lot of people as well. Um, all right. So number three is a dog's will eat another dog's poop as a sign of submission. So I don't know in terms of behavior how this works in terms of submission and, and behavior because I'm not a behaviorist. Um, I haven't studied anything in terms of behavior. So I'm sure there is a behavior component. I'm not sure how it works. So I think a behaviorist would be best to answer that part. But in terms of nutritionally, um, I found a rapid decline and even a, a reduction completely in this behavior once we change the diet. So the microbiome is what I was speaking about earlier as well. So you're good in uh, bacteria in your gut. They need to be in sync and they need to be working um, cohesively to be able to process the food going in. And dogs will know that something is wrong that I don't have that bacteria, I need to find it. They will sniff it out and they'll find it in dog poop, cat poop, duck poop, human poop if you're living in the Cape Town. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, um, and they will get it from there. So trying to eliminate that behavior, we look at diet in terms of nutritional point of view and see what's missing. How do we rectify that gut bacteria? How do we put in probiotics, prebiotics, um, stabilize that, that good and uh, bad bacteria so they're not actively seeking it out in terms of poop because we don't want dogs to eat poop. I mean, 
if your kid ate, ate poop, it would be like disgusting. Um, and then we, they come and slobber all over you. <laughs> yeah, with the poop we mouth. We went to a rescue because we were looking for a foster sister for Finn. And there was yeah. one little puppy we had a particular eye on. And we love giving Finn kisses. He's not very keen on it. But when he gives them back, yeah. we accept them. So it's very, it's very sacred to the tradition in our household. <laughs> Uh, and when we went to go have a look, this pup came out and uh, my partner was actually super excited. And he gunned straight past us for the biggest pile of poop and uh, just started on it. And he's like, that's it. Wonderstruck. Gone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Shame. Um, yeah. But then I also look at what the animal who excreted that poop ate. Because that's important as well. So like cat poop has a different nutrient profile. Not, well, not nutrient profile, but like poop profile in terms of what is coming out of the cat and what's coming out of the duck or the human or the, the dog that ate that food. Um, is it a high carb meal? Is it a high protein meal that they were consuming? Um, and what is the dog looking for? So some dogs will even eat their own poop because it has undigested material. So you'll find like pieces of carrot, pieces of spinach, depending on what you fed, um, and they want to get that back. So they will take it in, in terms of that, because their gut has digested it, but not their mouth. Um, so yeah, it just depends on what they ate. And then we try as much as possible to eliminate that behavior if we can, um, through nutrition and then working with the behaviors as well from that point of view. So side tangent real quick, I don't know if any other pet parents listening has gone through this, but so if you have, listen up, you'll learn something maybe. <laughs> snails. Finn actively seek, will seek out snails to, to nom. Snails, slugs, anything yeah. slimy. And I think, I don't know if it's because we live at the coast and I don't know if it's just because they smell yummy, but he will yeah. actively find and chew them out of their shells might not even care about them for a while. First chew up the shell and then go and play with them and start nomming on them. I have no idea why. And it grosses me out to the nth degree. <laughs> that is a new one. I haven't heard of shells or snails before. Um, but I'm sure there is a nutritional uh, component to that in terms of what is happening. Does he also eat the shell or not? He, he will, yes. Um, yeah. I think, yeah, he'll, he'll chew on the shell like it's um, like a, a, a trachea. So, yeah. Sandry. And does he have any, um, what is what I'm looking for, um, digestive issues after this? Not that I'm Any vomiting, any, and we it's ordinary garden that. snails. Yeah, it's, it's, well, I mean, it's Kazarian snails. I don't think they can yeah. be considered ordinary, but... <laughs> <laughs> But it's not like the snails you'd buy from a shop or like you'd no, have in a restaurant. No, yeah, no, okay. It's not yeah. Snails. yeah, so ordinary garden snails. Yeah, so I would look at it in terms of my nutritional point of view and see what's missing. Um, and then also probably contact a behaviorist to see if it is a behavior component. Um, yeah. But yeah, for him to actively seek it out, there is um, something happening. Yeah. For sure. All right. So, other one is. Um... Oh, feeding raw eggs improve coat quality. Yes. So feeding any types of eggs will improve coat quality. Um, we try as much as possible to get them to the raw state. Um, some cats and dogs will not take raw, and that's okay. We can feed them scrambled, boiled, poached. Um, and if we are scrambling, don't use any oils on the pan. So nothing in terms of heated oils. You can use a little bit of ghee, but no actual olive oil, coconut oil, the whole lot, because um, they end up changing chemical structure as you heat it so 
the actual oil should be added at the end and not in the heating process. Um, yes, and it does improve cold condition. It improves a whole lot of stuff because it is a nutritional powerhouse. It is nature's multivitamin. So it's there to nourish the, the growing chick as they're growing up, or whether it's a quail, a duck egg, or chicken egg. Um, and giving that to your pet has all that nutrition in it already. So the shell is basically calcium carbonate, like literally a calcium supplement that you would buy on a super, on a on a, a pharmacy shelf and pay a, a lot of money for. You're getting it in the shell. So we use that at home. We don't use any calcium supplements. Um, so my little one's been having it from the time she was six months old and her smoothies and her food. Eggshell powder is like amazing. Um, and the humans take it. My parents also have learned from me, so they also take eggshell powder now. <laughs> the senior people <laughs> were listening on this call. Um, yeah, and then my pets get it as well because I have to make it into a powder because they're cats. Um, some dogs will eat the shell on their own, some won't, and then you make it into a powder, but cats will not listen. So completely different species. Completely. Um, yeah, <laughs> and then with the egg, you just basically serve it. So like when we have egg here, it's like it's like a call for everyone to come from each section of the house because the egg is being cracked. So <laughs> they all start running for the egg and then oh, they lick yeah. the shells off. Yeah. And I did a reel um, a few months back where um, I did scrambled eggs for the family and then the pets also had scrambled eggs. So it's an extension of my own diet. It's nothing that I say that I can't have it because it's only pet food. It's all food. There's no pet food, human food. It's all food. So yes, it improves it. It has a whole lot of amino acids, multi uh, micronutrients as well, um, and also some joint support as well in there in that middle membrane. So don't throw the membrane away. Um, definitely include, yeah. But the general rule of thumb should actually be if you if I won't put whatever you're eating as my pet in my mouth, you shouldn't be eating it either. There we go. As simple as yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> With some exceptions, so like grapes and raisins and chocolate and stuff. Yeah. I mean, those are not suitable for pets because they cause um, issues in terms of health. But generally speaking, if it's something that you would not eat yourself um, in terms of human quality and grade and, and nutrition, um, then I wouldn't, yeah. So some of those canned foods look really, really bad. So like when you're taking out a canned food and they smell weird and it's like, would you eat this? No, but you're serving it to your pet. Yeah. I tried blending some kibble and chicken together for him last yeah. night because he has been absolutely horrible with eating just normal kibble. So I'm like, all right, let's try this. But after blending it, oh my goodness. I don't yeah. like the mixture, first of all, and then the smell with the water. My... Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Um, okay, so next one is God. I've never heard this one before. Um, mm -hmm. personally but it's very popular online, I see, is garlic prevents fleas? Um, yes, so with the garlic, um, in terms of garlic, it is it does prevent fleas. It's a natural flea, de flea deterrent, sorry. Um, but it has to be done the right way. So it also helps in terms of um, um, health as well and, and just improving some, some, some factors of health. Um, you don't only have to use it for the flea deterrent and that toxin prevention. Um, it is. It had a bad rap previously because of the study that was done and said garlic was going to kill your pets because it causes anemia. Um, they were feeding about like 245 cloves of garlic to the dog um, to well, have anyway. that effect. Um, exactly, that would do it. Um, so the same researchers that published that paper have published another paper saying that it obviously was wrong. 
So everybody jumped on the first bandwagon and they didn't read the second paper. So, yeah. So, yes, so they've corrected themselves, but the general public have not caught on to the correction. So, yes, you can serve garlic. It has to be served not as the crushed garlic you get in the store. So the bottles of crushed garlic in the store, don't use that because that's actually not fresh garlic. They reconstitute it with water and they make it, it comes like granules in a bag and they put water and that becomes your garlic. So not that one. It needs to be a clove of garlic that you get the heads, the clove, um, and then you would cut them up as finely as you want them and leave them on the countertop for like 10 minutes for the active ingredient to actually um, amplify. And then you would serve it to your dog. So in terms of being effective. So you also can't keep that in the cut garlic in the fridge and then use it the next day. It needs to be a freshly cut garlic. Fresh um, garlic. Yeah, for that active ingredient. Otherwise, the great ingredient just... Um, wears off. And that's safe for all dogs. It's not something that would be a contraindication to dogs with liver. So issues. it would be, it depends. Every dog's an individual. So I would look at it on a case-by-case basis. Generally, if your dog is healthy and doesn't have any um, cognitive issues or uh, hemolytic issues in terms of anemia, um, I would be cautious. But if your dog is healthy, active, um, I have no issues with it. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. I think there's a couple of more. Let's see quickly. Um, oh, okay. So, dog is a quick one. We have spoken about it a little bit. So, but dogs and cats are carnivores by nature and should only be fed a meat diet. And on the flip side, dog can be dogs can be vegan. Okay, this is a very loaded one. <laughs> I've had a lot very of loaded one. Cats yes. do vegan diets. Yeah, vegan diets. So. I like to look at it from a point of view of being individual um, in terms of every dog's an individual. Um, and um, we look at it from um, how is the dog actually made up internally? So genetics, physiology, anatomy, biology. Um, and if you look at them from head to tail, so toe to tail, um, they are actually carnivores. So you have a dentition of a carnivore. They're not, they don't have the same dentition as us. Their teeth is not the same. We have a lot more molars to actually grind plant matter. Our jaws move from side to side and their jaws actually move up and down. So you'll never get a dog that, that does this with their teeth. They will move this way, <laughs> even the cats, because that is a predator. They have to rip, they have to tear, um, they have to take out meat. So that's how their dentition works. They also have salivary enzymes in their mouth to attack bacteria coming in, which we don't. Um, so that enzymes will immediately attack any bacteria in the meat that they're consuming. Um, their tummy acids are very acidic. So it's around about pH 1 to 2, which allows for them to actually digest bone, feathers, fur, um, also a typical bacteria. So bacteria, very little bacteria survive in a, a pH of one to two um, in terms of that. And then their gut length is also a lot shorter than ours. It's a third of the length. So we have three times the size in terms of intestines. So if you have to open up the intestines, um, because we need to ferment, our food has to ferment and slowly extract. Theirs goes and through quicker faster, yeah, and yeah. break down. So theirs goes faster. It also helps in terms of bacteria uh, reduction because if they are consuming something that's high in bacteria, there's no time for the bacteria to actually proliferate. It comes out straight. Yeah. Oh, wow. So those are the, the three things that we look at. Oh, I think I've mentioned four. Um, in terms of how they are 
structured to be carnivores. Now there's varying degrees of carnivores. So we say the order carnivora, there's varying degrees. So your cats are obligate carnivores. They are actually at the highest in terms of, in terms of predatories. So they would need a higher meat-based diet and they can't do any veggies and fruit in terms of that. Your dogs are for cultivative carnivores, and this is where the contentious or the issues come in, because um, being for cultivative carnivores, they also class as omnivores or scavengers or things like that. But they're still carnivores, even though they're classed as omnivores, because some people think they can eat more um, plant matter. So omnivores like us can eat 50-50, and we can actually go completely vegetarian or vegan and still survive in terms of that, um, whereas your dogs still need a meat profile. There's still meat need in terms of it. And we have to be able to provide that, that, con that protein that they need to be able to live healthy, longer lives. That said, I also like to look at nutrients over ingredients. So if you do want to have a vegan dog for whatever reason, um, I have done more vegetarian, not vegan, but more carb-based diets for dogs that have liver issues, that can't process a lot of protein. I mean, every dog's an individual. We look at the dog in front of us and not just a general consensus of what every dog should have. And if the dog has a problem with the liver and they can't process proteins, we have to look at an alternative source of nutrition. And there the veggies and your carbs and your grains come in. So if we are doing things like that, um, then we have to look at a more supplemented diet where we are filling those gaps of the amino acids that the vegetarian foods or vegan foods cannot provide. Um, so here we look at nutrients, not ingredients. So for example, your meat would have certain amino acids like taurine and things like that that you might not get from grains or you might not get from the veg vegetables you're serving. Now you'd need to put a supplement in to fill that gap. So I'm not opposed to vegan diets. Um, I don't recommend it completely, obviously on a case-by-case -case basis. But if you are doing it, make sure you have the supplements to put in the nutrients that your dog does need because they are for cultivative carnivores. Yeah, for sure. Don't just do it on a whim. Do your research. Get in touch with yeah. a nutritionist. And not just yeah. any nutritionist, a certified nutritionist who knows what they're doing, yeah. um, knows how to look at the data. So yeah, um, that's fantastic. Um, the next one is, I'm going to swap them around for a second. Um, leftover bones are a good source of calcium for dogs and dehydrated bones are safe for dogs. Okay, so any processed bones is not good. So dehydrating bones and then also um, leftover being cooked bones. So if you have had roast with your family or a braai um, and now you are serving um, the cooked bones, those bones become brittle with the cooking process. I watched a video, like I think years ago on YouTube, and they showed um, the difference between a raw bone and a cooked bone and how the hammer strength in terms of integrity of the bone, it didn't take much to actually shatter the cooked bones um, and your jaws of your carnivorous animals, they do have a lot of jaw strengths. So they can actually shatter that bone. Um, so serving the cooked bones, any leftover bones um, or dehydrated bones, which actually extracts the moisture out, it's a form of processing. Um, it's not ideal because it can cause issues in terms of blockages, um, intestinal damage. If it's a sharp shard that comes off and goes down, it can actually puncture along anywhere the GI tract. Um, and then um, I know that like, while, every once in a while, there's a massive um, that picture that goes around that poster, but don't feed bones to your pets. And this is one, this dog on an operating table with a one kg bones oh, that came yeah. out of him. Yeah. <laughs> but who's going to serve one kg of bones firstly? And secondly, yeah. these were cooked bones. We, so we see those information. 
we see a lot of that, especially when I worked um, for the, the welfare organization, we saw a lot of that in uh, lower income areas. Yes. Where would basically, that would be their dog's diet. You know, you've yes. got maize and yeah. you've got and that's what they would eat. Yeah. So it's so, the education. Yeah. So it, it happens. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. A lot of people do serve it. And it might not it might not even occur to you happen to your pet, like on the first or second incidents. I mean, I have family members that serve it, like extended family. And I know I like literally barked at one of my family members. I didn't mean to be rude, but it came out because he wanted the bones on the plate that I was eating on. And I'm like, you're not serving this to your dog. <laughs> and my husband looked at me because it was his family. <laughs> It's like you just screamed at this old man. It's like I, I promise you, I was just saving the dog's life. Um, yeah, so it doesn't always happen on the first, second, third, fourth time you serve it to your pet, and you think, oh, the dog's fine. It can happen the tenth time, the fifteenth time, where you have to rush the vet now because something is wrong. So you rather make the the better choices. Um, if you are doing bones, bones have to be done a certain way. There's two types of bones: dietary bones, enrichment bones. Um, what are you trying to achieve with each bone? One is for dental cleaning and mental stimulation. The other is for part of the diet. Um, and also trying to get your pet used to bones. You can't go from just serving kibble for five years and tomorrow now you want to serve a bone. It's not going to work. You have to build up to that process because they have to develop jaw strength. If they're having kibble for five years, they don't have the jaw strength to, to do onto bones. Then you're going to get dental impaction, breakages, you're going to get injuries, and you're going to say, this is not working for me because the nutritionist recommended this, but it's not working because you need to do it the right way. So get your research, your ducks in a row, how you're going to do it. We generally progress from actual whole cuts of meat, so like a whole chicken fillet or whole minute steak, um, and you serve that to your dog. Um, and you hold one end, get them to start chewing, learning how to maneuver food in their mouth. So if they do get a choking or gagging incident, they can learn from it. Um, and then you progress as you're going on to like raw bones, like chicken necks, dietary bones, smaller bones. And then you move on to the bigger bones, like the knuckle bones, the bigger bones. So it's a process. It takes about three months or so. It's not overnight that your dog's going to learn how to do it. Um, and always supervise bones. So never leave a bone, your dog with a bone, and then go shopping or visiting. Um, you have to be at home because anything can happen. I mean, I've been doing bones for like eight years now. I've never, ever not watched them. I'm like a hawk yeah. um, to be able to see what's happening and if I need to intervene and help them out. We actually had um, family who went away and we were pet sitting for them where we would just go a few times a day to check up on the dogs and feed them. Um, yeah. And, oh, they they bry a lot and these dogs eat anything from anything. Um, and the one dog wasn't eating and we couldn't figure out why. And when we looked in the mouth, he actually had a little choppy bone stuffed oh, his yeah. um, mouth. And luckily we were able to get it out. It could have been a lot worse. Um, yeah. They actually lodged themselves into into that that like roof soft tissue. So yeah. I mean, that's something that could very well happen. Or you get the dogs with the big round bones that get their bottom jaws stuck yes. in it. Yeah, so, so it's all about the size, the shape, the type of bone. It's very, very important. No, for sure. Um, yeah. All right, so, and then the next one is uh, a slice of bread is equivalent to a hamburger for dogs. Yeah, well, <laughs> most of the things, yeah. 
I know I saw it in a Hills chart and I think that was one of the best things they did about in terms of burgers and um, a few biscuits and how it relates in terms of dogs um, because the way they process is completely different to us. They're not supposed to have as many carbs. Um, and I wouldn't do the bread and stuff if you have um, digestive issues, things like that. I mean, the odd slice of a little bit of crust every now and then we always, I mean, we are feeders by nature and it's in our nature. If our dog is begging next to us while we're eating, people are still going to do it. I know even though I tell them not to, they still do it. Um, so in moderation, a little bit of crust is okay, but not an entire slice of bread, not every day. Um, understand the implication. If you have a pet that's constantly having gastric upsets, I would not do it then. Um, if your pet is itchy, hot spots, shedding, redness, I would not do it then as well because now you're not intentionally improving the diet. Like I mentioned previously, if you're feeding a high-carb diet, it's got a lot of processed ingredients. We don't want to put more processed food in. We want to put fresh food in. So those are the differences. For sure. And then on the same on the same page of that, milk is good. I'm assuming it's cow's milk, but milk is good for cats. Big myth. Massive myth. So um, cow's milk is very high in lactose. Um, it's a, um, an enzyme and cats will not digest this properly. So we need to not be able, because even in TV as well, where we see on movies and stuff, this cat is lapping up milk all the time. Yes, they love it. I mean, they're going to love it. Um, not everything our pets love is good for them. So we have to do some tough love and understand that the milk is actually going to cause a lot of digestive issues. It also has a high casein value if you're doing milk, um, cow's milk. So that will also interfere with gut health and the microbiome. Um, and some people, well, most people with cats, their cats don't go to litter boxes. They go in the garden in terms of doing their business. Um, and you're not going to see that, the, the digestive outcome of it in terms of runny stools or diarrhea. So if you do have a litter box, then you will see it, but not all the time. If you do want to do a milk or dairy, because some dairies are good to feed, I would do a kefir. Um, it's a fermented milk, so it takes out the lactose. A yogurt as well, a double cream or full cream plain yogurt because the lactose is reduced. Um, and then also goat's milk because goat's milk is a lot better. So if you have a kitten and you need to feed something quickly, um, you would do a goat's milk because it has lower lactose. The lactose molecule is quite small. Um, and I wouldn't do it every day as well. So understand dosage as well. Small. Yeah, just not <laughs> like a whole of milk. Your cat can have some kiva. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, so obviously supplements is a big thing. So the last one is, and that goes into the next question, is um, I only need to give my pet joint support or supplements when they're old. Yeah. So prevention is way better than cure. We have to always think of that. And what do we want to achieve for our pets 10 years from now? So, yes, you may have a puppy now or a kitten, but what do you want that puppy or kitten to look like in 10 years' time? So what is they, your goal for them? Because you are a parent. It's a responsibility. Um, so, yes, I would start things as soon as possible um, as, as in terms of supplementation if you want to go that route. But, however, I do want to stress that you can't supplement a bad diet. You can't out-supplement a bad diet. So if the diet is bad, no amount of synthetic ingredients put in is going to solve an issue. So we have to look at what are we feeding? Is it fresh? Is it ultra-processed? Does it have the nutritional value? Is it going to support the joints? Is it going to support the heart, the kidneys, the liver, the overall vitality of the pet, the coat health, um, 
And if it does all that, then we don't really need as many supplements. We don't. Um, and in, in terms of nutrition, the way I work with my clients is we tend not to use a lot of pet grade supplements. I use more human grade supplements um, and we just change the dosage for pets. Um, they are a lot more effective. They have a lot more quality measures than a pet grade option. Um, and we can also extend our own supplements to our pets, like the probiotic synthetic ones that I take. My pets take the same thing. Um, any joint like collagen, the collagen powder I use for our family meals. My cats take it as well. The spirulina, um, anything that we have in terms of superfoods, they also have the same thing. Fantastic. I, I, I won't ask which ones because just now people get an idea of just going and like adding however many scoops of powder. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but if you are interested in doing this, please get in touch with me. Um, yeah. And she will take you through the process and make sure that you're doing the best for your babies. Mm -hmm. um, and I share so them on my social media as well. So you can always have a look there as well. Exactly. Yeah. She, she's completely active on social media. And if I say completely, I do mean completely. YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, <laughs> you name it. <laughs> Not YouTube yet. I haven't done YouTube yet. Just Instagram. Well, Facebook I've been on for a while. It's back safe zone. And Instagram just happened recently, um, like last year, because I was like so scared of Instagram. But now I love it. So it's I think Instagram is probably, you know, Twitter you go to for your political fights, Facebook you yeah. go to for your DIY groups, and Instagram is where you go for pet community. Because that's yeah. influences and pet fluences. That's what Instagram yeah. is. <laughs> um, so yeah, so obviously, um well, I mean, in terms of supplements, all right, so if people are feeding their pet supplements in conjunction with a diet, is there something that like certain brands to be on the lookout for? Is it again an issue of how many ingredients is in there? What is in um, yeah. the supplements? If it's an overall thing, is there a certain vitamin if it's too high that it can completely just bomb out the entire diet or their health? Um, yeah, yeah just, we can go through that. Yeah. So it definitely is. Um, like I mentioned, you have to do things with intention. So what are we supplementing for? Um, is there a need for the supplement firstly? Um, and if there is, do we are we doing a pet grade or a human grade supplement? So which one are we are we choosing in terms of quality? And then the dosage will have to be different as well, depending on 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 your pet's needs. Um, over supplementing can be an issue because it can cause toxicity. So if there is already enough, for example, vitamin A or vitamin B in the diet, and now you go and put extra with the supplement, um, it can cause toxicities. So be aware of that. So always read, turn and learn, <laughs> read the back ingredients. It tells you exactly what's in there. Um, some of these ingredients, some of these supplements also have sugars added, um, non-species appropriate ingredients that can cause um, issues in terms of your pet's gut. So be aware of that as well. This is also why I don't like pet ingredients, pet uh, supplements as well. They do have a thing called a uh, palatability enhancer that's in there. That's usually something that makes the the supplement taste nice. Yeah. I don't know who's testing it. Like like which human is actually testing it to, to know it tastes nice. I would like to find that human. <laughs> it smells not horrible when you mix it. Yeah. It's like, obviously, yeah. But I mean, why do they need that? In some cases of like IBD and gastric upsets, that actual enhancer causes the problem because it's causing an issue in terms of your pet's health. So be aware of these things and how they interact. Um, some nutrients are also what we call anti-nutrients. So once they're in conjunction in terms of a certain uh, quantity with another ingredient, they can cause um, inhibitions so and deficits over time. 
So it's important to know how these are interacting before we just go whack a load of supplements into the diet. Sure. I feel like I've been in a consultation with you already. Like we haven't even discussed anything specific to me, but I feel like the amount <laughs> there's a lot of information. Yeah. I love it so much. So for those people who are interested in, you know, bettering their pet's nutrition and their diet, um, what can they expect in a consultation with you? Um, something similar to this, obviously a lot more um, specific. So it's geared towards that pet. Um, I would go through in terms of a consult, we would um, go through certain areas. So because your pets can't speak to me, I wish they could. Um, I rely a lot on the parents. So we do get a prep work before the session. It's a very uh, like a two, three page document where you would need to actually go and do some homework. So you would have to look at the stools, look at the urine, um, try and describe them, uh, look at color, texture. Um, consistency, understand the amount of food you are feeding. So not just a cup of kibble, weigh the cup of kibble for me so I know the weight. Um, understand from the time you've got your pet. So if your pet is with you from one years old or six months old and now is 10 years old, what did you feed for the 10 years? So oh, wow. going back, I need to know. Um, and if you have a purebred pet, Try and see if you can contact the breeder, if you have that relationship, because was that pet on mom's milk for how long? What is mom fed? That affects the issues in terms of what we're dealing with now, um, because that was the nutrition they got in that puppyhood um, or kittenhood. So those kinds of things are in the homework, how much your pet is drinking in terms of capacity. So I ask people to actually measure it. Um, it does get harder in a multi-pet household because there's too many pets drinking. But if you have one pet, you can fill up a water bottle of like a one liter bottle and then fill the bowl and see how much they're drinking in a 24 hour period. Cause that tells me a lot about urinary health as well and where we need to factor that in. Um, yeah. And then we go through the diet and everything in, 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 in entirety. And also if you are making homemade food or adding to the food, um, it's not just, I mix a little bit of rice and a little bit of veg and a little bit of meat. I need to know quantities. So it's 200 grams of rice or cause all those things actually add up to what I need to get to at the end. And then in the consult, we go through everything. Um, I guide the questions along. So there's no tangents and things we have to go along. Um, and then we cover things like dentition uh, all the way from the mouth. So I do from toe to tail. Um, and the coat condition, the skin condition, any itchiness, redness, any issues you have there. And then we also cover off um, urinary health if they have any issues, sometimes people don't even realize there's a urinary issue until I point it out or potential to a urinary issue. So if you have this dark yellow uh, urine or um, strong smelling urine or sweet smelling urine, there's a potential of an issue. And then I flag that for them um, as well as a pet that drinks excessive amount of water. So we have to look at that in terms of what are we doing for nutrition in terms of that pet. Um, and then we go very in depth into the stools. So one of my passions is looking at poop. <laughs> my husband's like, you're not, you're not a nutritionist. Because once I was doing work at, at him at the dinner table, and um, we weren't having dinner then, but we were sitting at the dinner table doing work. And he's like, I was like, I'm doing work. And he's like, but I just see like poop pictures. You're not actually doing work. You're just looking at, at poop. <laughs> I'm like, this is my work. This is what I have to do. So yeah. So <laughs> yeah. So the, the clients have to send me stool pictures um over that period so then i look at it and evaluate it and then we go to the description everything from the shape the texture the color the smell whether your dog farts or not everything is discussed in detail and we do get very in-depth um 
and then we also do diet as well obviously so that's the last the last part and that's quite in depth as well so everything you feed what you're adding to the food what treats and then i work everything out for you in terms of that so that's basically a general consult if you are doing things like um, a skin package then we do a lot more in terms of skin and gut health if you're doing diabetes we'll go more in depth into that so it just depends on which package you, you are looking at um, and then it takes me about 15 working days to um, compile a report. The reports range anywhere between, well, minimum 10 pages, 11 pages long. It's quite an in-depth report for your pet's health, covering each section on what we can do in terms of what I found. Um, and then you also get a customized supplement guide. So when I say supplement, it's not always synthetic. It's also a natural supplement. So like fruit, veggies, fresh meat, those are all supplements for me. Um, and those will go into the diet that you can add in. And it, we take into account what you want to do. So if you want to feed kibble and add in the fresh, then I do that. If you want to go homemade completely, we look at recipes. Um, my ultimate aim is to be there for the pet and the parent. So yes, if your pet is um, being uh, affected by the kibble, then I will tell you. My recommendation will be there saying that I do not think kibble should be fed. Uh, we need to go into a fresh food diet based on whatever we've discussed in the session and what I found. Um, the onus is on the parent to either listen to me or not. So it's not like you have to follow my recommendation. You can decide, yes, we're going to go that way or not, we are not. But it's just a recommendation that I give people. And then there's some cases where kibble can still be used because there's no massive issues in your pet. Um, and we just start putting in the fresh. That's amazing. Yeah. And um, what would be the best way for people to get in touch with you if they would like to book a consult or learn more? Um, where can they go? So my social media pages. Um, those are quite um, active all the time. And then I have a booking link um, on Calendly. So it's calendly.com slash little angels consults. Um, and then you can just basically book there and look at the pricing as well. And my diary is there. So it just goes straight into my diary, which makes it a lot easier. I learned how to be a little bit more tech savvy. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was doing it the old-fashioned way before and looking at my diary and getting back to people over email and was taking so much of time. So yeah, we had to learn how to be a little bit more streamlined. Yeah, I'm getting there slowly. I'm not the most tech-savvy person, but yeah, it'll happen. So yeah, so the booking system is there. But then if you just go into my social media and send me a DM, um, I can always send them the link of where to book. And then also guide them on which package to choose. Some people also don't know where they would fit in in terms of a package and then in some cases we also do a customized package so if the pet has multiple issues or they want to cover certain things off then we'll just make a, a customized package for that client that's fantastic and guys if you haven't checked out her social media pages yet there is so much information there's so many tips and so many links to courses and it's just it's like a little hub of just genuine science-backed information that she shares for free so go ahead go look at it and then make up your mind for yourself if this podcast hasn't convinced you i'm not sure what will because it has been so incredible i i know i've learned a lot so it's um, amazing i'm happy <laughs> yeah so hopefully hopefully the people listening have also learned something and if they have any more questions like, like we said they can just go ahead and dm you if they're still unsure mm -hmm. which package to take um, we'll put all the links you mentioned in the description of the podcast as well. V, thank you so much for joining thank me. Thank you for having me. It was awesome to chat. <laughs> yeah.